Thank you so much. Welcome, church. Good morning. How are we? Good. You've got me again. I'm sorry. Um, I haven't bought KFC or I haven't bought all that stuff that sometimes I like to do today. I am simply sharing the message of God with you today. So strap in. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have been away for a little period of time. Um, I've been sick for a bit, so I didn't realise. I thought I was, I was becoming a very old man very quickly, and I discovered that I had gallbladder issues, which has probably stemmed from some of my lifestyle, but let's not talk about that. Um, and I had that removed uh, about four weeks ago now, I think four weeks ago to the day, from, uh, and I'm just feeling so much better. But there were a period there of three weeks where I, I spent two days in hospital, in and out, surgery, um, didn't do so good with the anaesthetic. I tried to stay asleep, which is always fun. Um, didn't want to wake up, and um, so the recovery was a little bit longer. But I was really thankful for the prayers, and I know... Where's Mel? Yes, gone, she's gone. Mel sent messages out, and you guys prayed, and I just want to say thank you. Um, prayers were answered. I was very blessed to actually go in for my operation. They wanted me to wait another three weeks um, three to four weeks before I had it, and then I just said, um, no, I'm having it now, and then his phone rang, and a spot opened up, so I believe that's prayer, and I was able to go into surgery, which means I can do Stormco, yes, <laughs> which I was excited about, so I planned it right in the middle of term, uh, left Neil to it, he's been working really hard. Um, but yeah, I got come back this week for my first week and hung out with uh, students again. I was really excited to be back at work. I think I was driving Joy Insane um, at home. I was probably driving Flick more insane at home as I had to ask her to drive me everywhere for a couple of weeks there, um, which was fun because I just go recline. I, like she's on her L's. I just go recline and go to sleep and she'd go, Where are we going, Dad? Oh, over there. Follow GPS. Anyway, besides that, <laughs> Besides all of that, we are here. Um, the best thing about today is uh, the handbrake is off, because Joy's just gone out to join the Sabbath school classes. So please don't share any of the stories I'm about to share. I'm looking at you, Ange. Do not go and talk to my wife. Um, I asked permission. She said no, and then said yes. But I figure, I figure this is fair, because we're talking about love, dates, and relationships. I was actually meant to preach last week, so I've got heartbreaks. But that's okay. I, I, I think it's fair because it took me the third go before she said yes to me when I asked her to marry me. So three times, twice rejected, boys, don't give up. When a girl says no, go again. <laughs> if, if it fails, go a third time. I don't know what happens after three times. <laughs> maybe, maybe no means no. No means no as well. Okay. <laughs> Confusing messages are happening right at this moment. We knew we were going to be in trouble with this particular subject of love dates and heartbreaks. Where was I? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sorry, honey. Uh, three times she said yes. She said, oh, that's right, no, didn't she? She said no to me this morning. <laughs> so I figure, I figure that eventually she'll say yes, and she did. So we're good to go. Hand breaks off. That's where I was at. I have a couple of stories to share with you later, maybe. Um, I'm attempting to, to work from notes, so bear with me as I, as I go through. Now, I've missed a, a lot of the series so far to the series, I, but I have caught up 
online. So if you've missed Love Dates and Heartbreaks, you can go on the Facebook page and you can listen to previous sermons, all right? Except this one, stop right now. <laughs> no, come on, Richo. Stop right now and work with me um, and uh, so we can uh, have a good time together. Um, let me pray. Heavenly Father, God of the universe, Lord, we just want to thank you that we can uh, be in your presence. Uh, worship was so great today. Um, love, love the songs that were presented. And may you come through and be at the centre of today, I pray. Amen. All right, so love dates and heartbreaks. So far that we, we've gone through our series and we've talked about uh, the right person myth. I don't know if you can remember that one. That's going way back. And the promise of myth and Jesus we talked about Jesus' new command. We've talked about in this series, his overarching ethic is to love as he loved us. And next we looked at the fine print. We talked about, you might remember, Paul's fine print about the five rules of dating. Have we got those down? You took some notes, five rules of dating for those that are still dating. Um, for those that are married, it's really good to remember those because we're still dating, right? Yes, boys? Good. All right, five rules of dating. And then last week we and we spoke about um, what, how we can get into a bit of a rut, and we spoke about Groundhog today, and today we are blessed to talk about heart, heartbreaks because here at Refresh Church, we're real, right? We do real talk. And so often when we preach, when we, when we talk, or when someone's up the front, we tell you all the good things about Christianity. We tell you all the, the love and the reasons why, but we know that life's messy, right? We know that life's hard. It's difficult. And if someone says that they've cruised through life without one issue, I'd be very, very surprised to hear of someone doing that. And in fact, heartbreaks becomes, for some of us, an everyday experience. And so today, we're going to venture into that world, and hopefully, if I don't get sidetracked on stories about joy, um, and myself, if I don't get too far away on that, we're going to actually give you some take-home points. Uh, number one, a broken heart doesn't mean you're broken. Say that again. A broken heart doesn't mean that you are broken. All right? And the second thing that we will take home from today is that there is purpose for you even when your dreams can't come true. There is purpose for you even when your dreams can't come true. Who's had a dream before? I had a dream. I don't know where that was. <laughs> Who's had a dream before and it hasn't come true? I, I'm a dreamer. I dream about all sorts of things. In fact, when I was at these guys' age, when I was in my teens, I dreamt that by the age that I am now, that I would be retired. <laughs> yeah, I'd be retired. I, I fully believe I had a plan, you know, like right through from from um, my, where my job was first going to come straight out of school, I was going to put money aside, I was going to get into property, I'd be at my, my 10th or 15th property by now, and I'd be retired. I failed. <laughs> I failed miserably. Um, and you might have had plans like that. You may have had uh, situations where you thought that, that are possible outcomes um, of where you think life might have taken you or, or dreams that might bring you somewhere. Some of you, some of you might dream, your dreams might come true. Amen to you. And like, I've had dreams that come true. Some of you 
Um, you may be by the book person. You know, you've got it all worked out and it ends up broken and no relationship. Some of you, you may have intercepted that text message and found out that the person that you thought was the love of your life was cheating on you. Some of you, despite vows of your second marriage, are feeling like it's the first all over again. What about those that haven't found that first love yet? And other people or dreams are coming true, but what about you? Someone else is living your dream and you're sitting on the sidelines, heartbroken. That might be your story today. And so today we're not only just talking about relationships and heartbreak of relationships, today we're talking about the things that really pull us down, the things that, that take us away from a relationship with God, the things that, that take us away from relationship with others, the things that bring us to where we can't go no more. And this sermon might be like hitting you today, and I'm sorry about that, but then I'm not. Because we've all been there. Some have been right down to the depths, and I've been there. And, and, and for some reason, been able to pull yourself out of that. And today we're going to talk about how do we, when we have this, these, these heartbreaks or these dreams, these goals, these relationships that break, how do we continue to move forward? How do we keep our eyes fixed on God? How do we stay connected when things are going bad? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We all have dreams. We all have ideas. We all want something. We have, we're all hoping that things will work out. For a plan. We all have a plan. All right. Sorry, honey. <laughs> Joy had a specific, specific plan in her head when eventually she said yes to me. She had a plan of what her wedding day would look like. Okay, I'm talking about pre-Christian days, so, you know, you're going to look at, by the end of this conversation, and go, man, you are such a bad man. I was. Uh, she had a certain plan, and at that particular time, in that plan when we were planning our date and moving forward um, for, for that wonderful day of getting married, uh, she's pretty, like, she's a simple girl. She, like, she doesn't ask for lots, and I'm so blessed about that. Um, my credit cards, you know, are pretty good because she, she looks after her, like, that side of things. She doesn't have to spend, doesn't have to have lots of great things. And I'm so happy about that. But the wedding day came along, and her idea of a wedding was very relaxed. It was a picnic basket for each family um, out on the grass where we got married. That was her idea of a wedding day. And she shared it with um, both our mums, her mum and my mum, and they said, you can't do that. And so... She said, no, you've got to, you know, you've got to do it right. You've got to have, you know, we've got lots of people coming over. You know, the, we could do this and do that. And before she knew it, people were planning the wedding for her. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation for those that have been married. Um, for those that are looking into the future to that, this might help you of what not to do. Um, and so the mum started to, to organise and prepare things and... We, we were on a tight budget because at the time I wasn't working. I was actually pretty sick at the time. I had glandular fever and I was off work. 
so money was really tight, and people were just were giving to us, which was really neat. And so we set up a big marquee, and they decked it all out with fairy lights, which is back then was a, you know, that's, we do fairy lights and everything these days. I hate fairy lights. But <laughs> we, they're just putting them up and taking them down. So annoying. Anyway, there was lots of fairy lights, and it was a tent. It was lovely. We had little tables, and the front table, you know, where we sat, all those traditional things that you have. Um, you know, we're going to get married down on the water. This was, uh, we got married at Wynnum, um, which is down on the water. That's where we lived at the time. Uh, and so we, we hired the rotunda. And, you know, it was, the day was coming. She was excited. Um, yet there were people within the family that weren't so excited for us because I'm on my second marriage. And they're going to Joy, this is your last chance. And, they, and they're trying to, like, talk her out of it right up to the very day. And, in fact, um, when she was getting ready... Uh, they, they were trying to talk to her in a way, say, don't do this. And as a result, they were like an hour and a half late. Maybe two, I don't know. I can't remember. Because um, my mates were very aware of what was going on. In fact, the minister came to me at one stage and said, uh, Rick, um, I don't think she's coming. We need to call this off. And then my mate come over, and this is pre-Christian days, he gave me another drink, and uh, another drink turned to another drink just to keep me calm. And I'm standing, waiting for... And she was late, because someone had said to her, don't do this. And, and, and so her day is devastating, because she had a plan about, you know, like, finishing the vows and then having the sun set... Well, it wasn't really the sun coming down because Wynnum's on the east, so it's not really sunset, but you know what I mean, like a pretty picture. And by the time we got married, it was pitch dark. <laughs> so all the photos are wrecked because we're back in the day of Kodak. We're talking 19 years ago, you know, when you <laughs> took a photo and you had to wait till it come. Yeah, you anyway, <laughs> so long ago. Um, and, and we're waiting, you know, like the, all the photos were wrecked and... Um, uh, I've had way too many drinks, and so I'm not at my best. Well, we get to the reception, and the reception's going off, and everyone's having a great time, everything's working fine, um, and, and Joy just wants to get out of there. And she had a plan in her mind that, you know, we'd have these picnic baskets, and then people would throw confetti, and we'd jump in the car, and we'd fly off to our honeymoon. And by the end of the night... Um, it was a great night. In fact, my, my mates say it was one of the best weddings they've ever been to. I don't remember. Um, in fact, I had to get my father-in-law to drive me to where we were staying. And so I felt pretty bad the next day. Well, maybe not the next day, because the next day was our cricket grand final. Um, <laughs> which we played. And all my team were there. And we didn't lose a game all season until that one, because they had a late night too. Um, and so... She's such a good girl, isn't she? <laughs> She's such a good girl. Anyway, eventually we jump in our cars after the cricket match and we head to a honeymoon <laughs> down the Gold Coast and we had a great time. But I've been trying to do a do-over for a while now, right? Trying to make up. And I said to her, look, when eventually I come around um, about seven years later and Jesus found my soul and told me the things that I was doing wrong. Eventually I come around and, 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 you know, she, she's devastated by this. She was heartbroken. To this day, there's still a little bitter thing there. You've got to be careful when you bring that up. So please do not talk to her about it. Promise? 
Promise? All right. All right, you can. She's all right. I'm just joking. Anyway, uh, and, and so I said, a do-over. I said, 10 years at our 10th wedding anniversary, and I planned up this thing. We were going to go to Fiji and do a, renew our vows. And um, we, we, you know, I was planning for this, and then I went to college, and we had no money. <laughs> and first year at college, um, we had an extra child, and it didn't work. And then I said, do over, do over, 20 years, which is next year. Um, we've got, <laughs> the money's put aside for a house, <laughs> and it's not going to happen. You know, she, she, she's heartbroken. I'm actually heartbroken for her. The do-over will happen, okay, when she's not ready. That's how it works in my mind. Um, not in hers. <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm getting to is that heartbreak doesn't necessarily mean a loss of relationship. Heartbreak can come from things that you plan and you put into your, your, your mind, this is how things are going to be, and it doesn't work out. And that's happened for her, and it happens to, for her a lot, because she's a planner. She loves planning and scheming things, and I just love doing things spontaneous. And it annoys her to no end. Um, but that's just how I'm built, and she's built that way. We kind of work. Well, we're, we're doing okay. It's 19 years, heading to 20 next year. So we're doing all right, which is good. Um, I say all right, because we all have good and bad days. It's a relationship. Don't think it's going to be bliss forever when you find that right person. Because every day you've got to work on it. It's like a relationship with God. And, and so when we look at, at bad things happening to us, we often wonder where does God fit into this? And I don't think I'm alone in that similar scenario for you guys. I think you can resonate that stuff in your life could be going wrong. It may be going wrong right at this very moment. And you're going, just be quiet, Pastor. I don't want to hear that stuff. Preach the good stuff. We don't do that here at Refresh. We speak real. And I love that about Refresh Church. We speak real, we speak honest, and we speak open. And, um, and we share. And that's important. That's how Jesus did it. That's how his disciples did it. That's how the mother of Jesus taught Jesus. And when we look in Scripture, the mother of Jesus is a really interesting story. Here is a, a woman in her teens, ready, late teens, ready for marriage, got the right guy, got the nice family heading into that, and then an angel appears. And if I get you to flick to the next slide, and says, says something pretty crazy to Mary. Says to Mary, mother of Jesus, um, you... I'll get the exact words. I was nearly going to say, a sword would pierce your soul. A sword is going to pierce your soul. In other words, I'm going to put a baby in you and everybody thinks will think poorly of you and have a bad reputation of you. And this is what Mary's response to when her dreams are broken and, and her life has took a left or a right turn, her ideas, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Could you imagine, I, I, I mean, for those times, a woman to fall pregnant outside of marriage, like, so bad. And she says, 
I am the Lord's servant. John the Baptist, his life was also turned upside down. Here's a guy that preached Jesus is coming soon, and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches Jesus is coming soon, and he meets an awful end very abruptly. And before he dies, this is what he says. Check it out. John chapter 3, 27. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In other words, you can, you can, what, you get, what is happening to you now, you can only be given to you what you can handle. And then his head got chopped off. <laughs> what? Like, think about that. And then Jesus, in his story... He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's a, he knows what's ahead of him. And, and he's a, he knows he's about to die a brutal death. And this is what Jesus says. Yet not my will but yours be done. Boom. I wonder in the midst of our heartbreak, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our we don't know where to go, could you say that? I mean, it was Jesus, right, okay. <laughs> Yet not my will, but yours be done. Powerful descriptions in the Bible that tell us how to get through when things don't go our way when we're broken. And these are remarkable people. They didn't choose the hand. They didn't choose the hand that they were dealt, but they chose to trust the hand that dealt it. They didn't choose the hand that they were dealt, but they chose to trust the hand that dealt it. They trusted. In the midst of heartbreak and pain and things don't go, go your way, are you able to do that? And on the flip side of all of that, I've seen the other side, and in fact, I've experienced the other side of panic, um, of despair, of brokenness, um, and the pushback against a relationship with God and allowed fear to inform their decisions. And as a result, people lose their faith and give up. They say yes to anything. Have you ever have experienced that? Have you ever met someone that said yes to anything or anyone? Have you seen people try to make something happen that shouldn't happen as a result of despair and brokenness? And the desperation led to greater despair. Their desperation, maybe it's your desperation, and you make a decision, um, and it goes from one extreme to the other, and it compounds, and it compounds, and it compounds. And this is why we have the circle of life, and you'll find people who are living in low-income areas. It'll just go round in circles and circles, and they're into drugs and alcohol and bad parts of life, and they're all in the wrong part of town, and it just goes round and round, because desperation leads to greater desperation. I'm not saying it's their their fault all the time, sometimes it is, but when we get into this state and we're desperate, we try to fix it. I do anyway. I'm always trying to fix problems that I shouldn't. If I just wait and let God do it. And, 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 but desperation leads to desperation. And I believe the biggest problem of all of that is prosperity gospel. It's people standing right in this spot and they're saying things like, since I did, God must. Since I gave my heart to the Lord, since I, I'm following him all the way, since I turn up to refresh, I volunteer, I do this, I do that, then God must bless me. God must, 
must give me all the needs that I'm, that I'm wanting. And, and we say prosperity gospel is, is a real problem for our church in general. Because people get caught up uh, in believing that their faith is made up this way. We put our hopes all into this. And it's so easy to leave when this doesn't happen. When the, the bad stuff happens to good people. It's so easy to give up when that's our motto. Since I did, God must. And that's a pandemic of our culture. That's where we are in Western culture today. And we sit in this sleepy kind of state as a result of this type of theology or belief system. Jesus did not offer us an equation. I love this. Jesus did not offer an equation. Two plus two equals four. He didn't offer that. He just simply offered an invitation. Man, I could finish right there. Drop the mic. Oh no, it's up here. Drop the mic. (laughs) He offers an invitation. He doesn't offer an equation. He doesn't offer, like, you follow me and you'll be fine. It's going to be great, mate. Like, he's got a partner organized for you. It's just around the corner. Just wait. It's there for you. Don't, don't stress. He doesn't offer that. He simply offers the invitation to come and sit at his feet. That's the hard thing about Christianity, right? Because we want it the other way. We want it the other way. And let me tell you, it's so much easier preaching the other way. It's, it's, it's like so entertaining. It's like, it's happy, it's alive, it's bubbly, but that's not what life is all about. It was an invitation to lose our lives so we could find them. His invitation is to follow me, not because of what he would do. Follow me because of who I am and what I have already done. This has been the standing invitation since the beginning of time. This is where peace is found. This is how you you can live your life. And I'm offering that as a solution, a solution to maybe some of the, the problems that you might be going through. Sit at his feet. If you're in great despair today, and you just don't know where to go or way out. Sit, be patient, and wait. Life is not fair. Let's just say it. Life can be pretty crappy, but life can be pretty fun too. When we sit and wait, and just and and really rejoice in God. David, David, the Bible character is a real explanation. It's a real example. Of, of that, and I often speak about David, and it's because I think David's like real. <laughs> he, he messed up numerous times, and yet he's still one of God's most favorite people, or revered by God as the Bible calls him. And I love that. So when we mess up, it's not losing hope, it's not, you don't have to give up, you don't have to, to you know, be, let it all go. Because David's example is right here. And by the time David gets into his 60s and he's king, he's in despair. And when you look at David's life, 
you know, God comes to him as a teen and says, you're going to be the next king. But there's a real problem because there's already a king, right? That's on the throne. King Saul's already there. And someone says, you're going to be next king. So there's expectation, you know, that he's, he's something, he's bound for greatness. And yet he's just a shepherd boy. You know, in his family, he's nothing. He, he's like out, out, it was like a, nearly almost a disgrace to be looking after the sheep. But he saw it, he saw it as an invitation. He saw it as a way to learn. And eventually, as you know the story of David, he gets asked to go down to the battle and he goes out, he kills Goliath. And all of a sudden, David goes from shepherd boy to legend, like in an instant. In fact, he's such a legend, he gets invited to Saul's table and Saul actually gives one of his daughters to him. And he's sitting at the table, he's made it, he's finally made it, he's there. And then the next thing, he's running for his life because of jealousy. Because of the legend of David was far too great for Saul to be around. He couldn't handle it. And he runs off. And in fact, he runs off to this little place called Nob. <laughs> oh, it's a funny town, isn't it? Nob. And there's this, he's famous, he's, he's priest there. Ahimelech is there. And, and David gets to Ahimelech and he lies. Because desperate people in despair do things that they shouldn't. And he gets to Ahimelech and he lies. He tells, he tells Ahimelech that um, he's on the, the king's duties and he needs weapons and food. He's by himself and Ahimelech's going, why are you by yourself? And he's feeling a bit weird. And, and he's after, he said, I need food and I need weapons. Because he's running for his life. He's desperate in despair. So he lies to Ahimelech. And in verse 8, of 1 Samuel 21, 8 and 9. You can look up yourself, or it's on the screen. I don't care today. Verse 8, it says, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? This is David. I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. Verse 9, next one. Sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, Elah is here. So <laughs> this is really cool. So Ahimelech brings out this massive sword, like... And it's like a remembrance. It's like reminding David of the victories that he had through him. He brings it out and still David in despair. And he goes to verse 9, the next, very next bit. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Even though God's like trying to give him a visual. Like, remember, I killed Goliath for you. <laughs> remember? Remember that? I, I've got this for you. And then he goes, no, no, give it to me. I want it. And he goes off. Saul finds out that Ahimelech has helped David. And he's angry. Saul's very angry. And in fact, he's so angry that he kills Ahimelech, kills his family. He kills the 85 priests that are in the, in the valley of Nob, in that little, little township. He kills their families. He even kills the infants so there's nobody left. He's that angry just awful, devastating, because of David's lie. David hears this, and he's devastated, because he knows that that lie has caused that, and in fact, he's now lost credibility. He, he, he was right there, he was at the king's table, ready to be the next king. And things didn't go his way, and desperate people do desperate things. 
and a bunch of people lost their lives. And we see this in the story of David. Eventually, he eventually becomes king, which is what God said he would. And then David, he still stuffs up, right? He has an affair with Bathsheba. She must have been pretty good looking. Couldn't help himself. I guess you would if you're looking. Anyway, doesn't matter. Whatever. He makes a mistake. He kills another bunch of people as the result of that mistake. But he's still king. And he gets to his 60s. And he's in his 60s and, and he's had a bunch of kids. He's lost two sons. And then his favourite son, Absalom's there. And he loves Absalom. Absalom's going to be the next king. And Absalom probably knows this. But Absalom is angry at David because um, a few years earlier, four years earlier, it's Absalom's sister, must have been pretty close to her, she was raped and David did nothing about it. And it made Absalom mad that David just let this slide under the carpet. I, I, I would be mad too if I was Absalom. It'd actually make me angry because I hate that. It's one of my pet things I hate. Anyway, Absalom gets so mad that he loses his relationship with his father and he plots to overthrow the kingdom. And he spends four years building an army and eventually he marches on Jerusalem where David's staying in his 60s. And there's an eerily kind of same sort of thing is about to happen to David, what's happened to him in his youth, where he's now like fight or flight. And he decides for the kingdom that it's best that he, that he leaves. And he sets foot out, um, out of the Jerusalem and he flees for his life with his family intact. And, and Absalom comes in. Um, I think I do have that next slide, yeah? And this is the result of what happens. So he leaves. And the country, the whole countryside weeps loudly as all the people passed by, as David passed, passes by. They're weeping. They're upset. Even David's weeping. And the king also, he crossed into the Kidron Valley, the next slide, and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. Here he is in his 60s, again, desperation, despair, from king to zero. He's running, he's fleeing. And on the way, um, the, the servants, uh, the priests, they grab the Ark of the Covenant. It's a really interesting scene. They grab, the Ark of the Covenant was like a special special place where basically God would dwell. And if you had the Ark of the Covenant as a Jew at that time, it meant that God was with you because that's where God dwelt. So God was with you. It was like a sign. And so the priest grabbed this. And David finally, they catch up to David, um, and you can see further on then. And David's remembering also about the aftermath of his two mistakes early in his life. Have a look what happens in verse twenty. 25, I think it is, 24. Then the king said to Zadok, uh, hang on, back there, 24. Zadok was there too, and the Levites there with God, and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. All right, we've done that already. Verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok, who, who's carrying the Ark, take the Ark of God back into the city. And they're like, they're gone. They're, they're like, oh, what? This, like, if you've got this, David... 
Like, it means that God's with you, and, and Absalom's, God's not with Absalom by doing what he's doing. You want us to take it back? And David says, take it back. And, and then there's this really cool verse that says in 25, I find favour in the Lord's eyes. He will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. So he goes, I don't need it. Like, I'm going to let God work this out. He's learnt from his mistakes. And he's gone, you know what? Let's just give it to God. He can work this stuff out. He'll work it out. I've stopped all the negotiation with God. I'm sick of negotiating and trying to step forward in my own ways with God. And in verse 26, he says, I'm not pleased with you. Then I'm ready. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. And, and next verse, let him do to me whatever seems good to him. David just goes, I don't care anymore. God's got this. He trusts. Oh, man. I don't know if I'm very good at that. But he trusts. And he goes, leave it with him. I'll rest in the Father's hands. This is an interpretation in my dream, but not God's plans. It's, it's messed my dreams up, but I'll just leave it with God now. His will be done. In verse 27, the king also said to Zadok the priest... Do you understand? He's trying to make this really clear. Go back to the city with my blessing. 29, so Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. He's sad, right? I'm not saying you can't be sad. When you're in despair, what was David doing? Weeping, crying, barefoot, which is a sign of desperation, sign of despair, sign of sadness. You can still be sad, but he's trusting now. He's learned, and he said, just leave it with God. I don't need the ark. Give it to my son. Let God work it all out in his own time, and God does work it out, as we know, is the story. Read the rest of the story. It's a great story. Um, I'm going to finish it up there. David mourns. He mourns with a broken heart. He'd lost three sons now as a result of his really mess-ups over his time. Somehow, he had not lost his confidence in God. Oh, and that's why God loves him. Because he didn't lose his confidence in God. What about you? What about me? Is that possible for me? Is that possible for you? I don't know. I struggle, friends. <laughs> I'm about you, but I really struggle with this. Like, I don't know. I feel like, personally, that God has like been not stepping in and helping in my journey recently. You know, sorry, honey. I look at my beautiful girl here, you know, and I'm going, God, we've been praying solidly for a year for her to be healed. Desperation and despair. We're trying to do everything in our power. And, and, and at the same time, we're, like we're dealing with a mother-in-law that doesn't know who we are now. You know, like Mother's Day come around and, and my wife was just devastated because she went up there and seen her and, and she, she didn't know who she was. And then her father's just had another heart operation and he keeps it a secret. And, and there's just endless stuff going one after the other. And sicknesses that have, that have just sort of seemed to have plagued 
us in, the, in previous times. I don't know about you, I get to a point where I just go, man, I'm done. Have you ever felt that? It's okay to be sad about that. Like, it's okay to, to sit in that. It's okay to show that. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. I want to fix things, right? I want to, like, I don't know, study to be a doctor so I can fix these problems. But I've just got to sit and wait and have confidence that God can do that. It's not easy. Um, those that are in desperation and despair at this very moment, you know, in sickness, in, in marriage, problems, I don't know what, there could be any numerous things that are happening in your life. And I know there's stacks of that going on because the devil targets his loved ones, God's loved ones. And he just throws the kitchen sink at us every day. And, and David learned it late in his life, right? He messed up all the way through, yet God revered him as your own. You may have messed up. I know I have. And he just asks us to sit in confidence and wait. Heartbreak hurts. And we've all lost someone or lost a relationship. Heartbreak hurts. But it doesn't have to lose your faith in that process. Challenge you to be like David. <laughs> have confidence in God that he, he has your best interest at heart. And who knows what's going on behind that, what the purpose is or the reason for that. We don't know what the purpose is. Like, we don't know the reason. But God does. And we have to sit and wait. What about you? Will you sit and wait? Is my prayer today. Heavenly Father, mm. God, give us confidence to sit and wait. Mm, that's what we ask today. Uplift us and strengthen us. Um, be with us. We all, each individual, I'm sure, have got their own problems and issues going on in their life right at this very moment. Whatever issue is happening out there, Lord, help us to have confidence that we can continually go to you for strength and help. Uh, look, that problem may not get fixed, but help us to stay close to you. Holy Spirit, fall on us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.